Well, just on that absolutely hysterical note, <clears throat> in worship this morning, and I am not going to talk about how Jesus um, arrives at other churches, although I could, but today I got the impression, and Jesus is here, that when he comes to this church, it's just like there's a lovely old settee, and he just bones in, flops down on the settee, and just says, hi, everyone. And do you know why he can do that? Because this is family. This is family, and we are so authentic here. And he can just do that. He can just come, and he can make himself completely at home here. Not sure if he could do it everywhere, but I won't say anything more about that. (laughs) Because we're a church of grace. (laughs) What I would really like to talk about this morning, um, what I've been asked to talk about, is Matthew 10. And as I have had a look through this this, uh, in preparing this message, I realize that actually I think, and please don't disagree with me, I think that this is one of the most understated and underrated parts of the New Testament in the lives of the disciples. So I'm calling it living something bigger than ourselves. And Matthew 10.1 says... And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power, there's dunamis power, over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. And then it goes on to list who it was he was doing it for. And it says, And the names of the 12 apostles, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James and John, sons of Zebedee, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Now there's something really, really significant in those two verses. But I'll come to that in a minute. Because I want us to go back and think, well, why, why did Jesus do that that day? Was that day any different than any other day? Was it that it was a new season? Was it that things were going to happen? So we just got look into what was happening prior to Jesus seeing this in Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And it said, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But... When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary. Another name for that weary is they were harassed and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And just going back to that second point, he saw the multitudes He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Is anything different today with the unsaved? They are weary, they are harassed, and they're scattered, and they try and find pleasure, they try and find reason and so many other things, don't they? So that was why Jesus said, Today I am doing it with you twelve. But the interesting thing is, is that in verse 1, he calls them disciples. 
And disciple means one who is a learner, one who follows both the teaching and the teacher, used first of these 12 and later of Christians. But in verse 2, he says they're apostles. Now, I had never seen that before. And what really struck me about that was the disciples hadn't done anything. We all know that Paul is an apostle, but we usually look at it because of what he already did. Whereas here the disciples haven't done anything and yet they're being called apostles. So, a special messenger, a delegate, one commissioned for a particular task or role, or one who was sent forth with a message, which is quite different to an evangelist, isn't it? So do you know what that day was for those apostles? Graduation day! <laughs> whoop, whoop! Graduation. They didn't know it, of course. They did not know that they were being graduated that day. But when we think about... Give me an indication. Who here has actually graduated from something apart from childhood? Oh, good. <laughs> good. There's quite a few of us. Um, I have not had the privilege of put it, having the hat on. I have graduated, but that's not what my graduation looked like. But many of you have. That's why I did that, that particular um, illustration. But, you know, I don't know about any of you, but when you graduate, you know you're qualified. You're qualified more than you were when you started three, four, five years ago. And so the next thing you want is a job. <clears throat> So you have a graduation, and, and sometimes people know what their job is. They've already lined that up. And if you're anything like me, from the very many jobs I've had through my life, the first thing that you ask is, what's the pay? Honestly, I thought back, and I think there's only ever two jobs that I went to that I didn't ask what the pay was because the jobs were so appealing, and I figured they'd probably pay quite well. But most times, isn't it? that we want to know what the pay is. Now, do you think that the disciple apostles were any different? Well, the graduation, the job, and the pay here says, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, not two tunics, not sandals, nor staffs, for a, worth, a worker is worthy of his food. So they're basically being told, hey, what a great day. You've gone from disciple to apostle. I'm going to give you power to do these things, but not only are you not getting paid, you're not allowed to take your credit cards with you. You're not allowed to take a, a backpack. This is just what you have to do. And of course, that's complete dependence on God, isn't it? So that's where they were. Now, what do you think that some of them, in hearing all this, might have thought? Some of them could be absolutely jubilant. Some of them, especially Thomas, may have thought this. Mission Impossible. And I love that one, Rogue Nation, because technically the disciples were actually going out to create a nation for God, and they were definitely rogues as far as the Romans were concerned. But I think that they probably changed their mind in the end and made it Mission Possible, His Mission, Your World. Don't you love that one? And then 5 and 6 says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, for us here, and you notice that I always love to relate everything back to us, um, although the DNA of Vineyard is to church plant, 
At currently with us, that is not a, a big thing on any of our hearts, but we do have such a heart for missions, don't we? But what God is causing us to do is to go out to the lost sheep of New Zealand, isn't he? And that's really where we're at as a church here. And he says, And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I really had a good think about this because I know that we're told that we, we change atmospheres, but I just got a different picture this time that we actually carry the whole kingdom. We carry everything that the kingdom has to offer and we can sort of pull out anything from the kingdom at any time in any circumstance to any person if we have the leading of the Holy Spirit, can't we? So, I mean, we know that, you know, in the kingdom we can, we can pray for people. We can, and, and I'll come on to that. But it was, it was just, I, I think I got a sense of how much more than I have actually seen it before. It is much, much, much more. Um, I was watching um, one of the people I like to watch, Jeff Vines, and he was talking about the fact that when he was here in New Zealand as a pastor for 10 years and has now gone back to the States, he said, New Zealand is in a post-Christian era. And he said, sharing the gospel there is very hard. And he is an apologist. And they, they're very brave people, and they really don't have any problem. But that was his comment about New Zealand, which I thought was interesting. But the kingdom of heaven, and it has so much going for it. And I just had an experience of something um, from the kingdom that it was an area that I probably hadn't thought that much about. But a while ago, about six or seven weeks ago, three of us from here went up to a retreat in Palmerston North. And one of the things that we could do in, in our time of reflecting was, was go into a labyrinth, which is just a circle that they'd done out of rope that you could walk into. And after one of the sessions, I felt that I really wanted to go into the labyrinth. And as soon as I set my foot in there, I was just absolutely overwhelmed with real happiness. It, it, I just felt as if I'd had buckets of happiness thrown over me. Now, it wasn't, I didn't mean like the laughter. I didn't feel like getting down on the ground and rolling around. But I saw very clearly the happiness that's in God. And that was something that I actually had never seen. We know this joy and we know that, you know, all the other things. But this happiness, that was just something for me quite personal. But in that, it really released me from being too caught up in things of the world um, my poor home group, every time we, we, we are praying, oh, what do you want prayer for, Marilyn? Oh, repairs around the house. And again, repairs around the house. You know, that was my whole focus. You know, I thought I've got to stop seeing that. But I realized that that is where my focus was. And so receiving this happiness, it actually kicked me up more into being aware of the kingdom. And it was very interesting. Um, when God moves us, out of bondages, and that was a bondage of mine, I find for me anyway that God will always show me that I'm free from it one way or another. 
And I was sitting um, one morning, probably four weeks ago, it was a beautiful morning, and I was just sitting outside on my, my bench, really enjoying the sun. It had gone quite warm. And I'd love, to, I'd love to really tell you all I was sitting there praying fervently. No, I wasn't. I was just sitting there thinking, oh, I just love sitting in the sun. I love it when it gets warmer. And next thing, Jesus was standing right beside me. And I just couldn't believe it. And forgive my unbelief, Lord. And he said to me, what do you want to ask of me? And I thought, wow, that's what Solomon got, got asked for. And I thought, should I see wisdom? And I thought, no, that's Solomon's line. All this going through very quickly. But before I even had time to think, my reply was, I want to walk closer to you than I ever have. And he stood there with his arms folded and he looked at me and he went, I can do that. I said, thank you. I said, and I want, I want to be more aware of when you are around than I ever have been before. And he said, I can do that. And I said, thank you. And it was like he just had this twinkle in his eye and I just said to him, you are so funny. <laughs> and, and at that he went and I didn't need any more. But he knows every one of us very well. And one of the things um, that I actually had to battle with when I first became a Christian was my Scottish humour, because it's quite cheeky. And, and I had to be mindful that I couldn't really be cheeky and be a Christian, so I was at a bit of tension. But to give you an example, when I went back to Scotland in the mid-90s, uh, I went to friends of my parents' house. Alistair was in a wheelchair, so Margaret had come to the airport to pick me up. When I set foot in the house, and I will translate because I'll do the Glasgow accent, he says, Marilyn, it's not true what people say about you. That is Marilyn, it's not true what people say about you. <laughs> and I said, what's that, Alistair? And he says, you are quite good looking. <laughs> You are quite good looking. I would have liked it more if he said you're pretty. But, but that gives an idea of the humour. And I just, and instantly, you know, because I've been brought up with that, I just retorted something straight back to him. Um, but that's us. And I remember telling a Samoan friend of mine, and she just said, oh, that's so rude. <laughs> Different cultures. But that was the happiness, and I felt that that was the vein that Jesus was, Jesus was talking to me that day, and it was just lovely. So the kingdom of heaven, and I have to say that from that experience, I have been a lot more aware of, of kingdom than I ever have been before. And it's not that I'm not, but that was it. So that is the kingdom. That was what he was saying. Preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says, heal the sick and cleanse the lepers. Now, we all know that in our society today, there is such a level of ill health, especially in the area of mental health. And I had the joy of having a lady um, come to dinner last week, and she is a, a doctor, and she is very, very high up in psychology, and she is very aware with, with um, the, all the teaching that she's done of what trauma does. And it was quite interesting, and some of you will probably know this already, but it's good to just remember <clears throat> that when we have had something in our lives where there has been deep shock and even gone to trauma, unless we actually, and we, we know we will pray it off, but unless people get it dealt with, it stays there. 
And if it was something that happened when someone was quite young, there can be like a, a way that they see things that keeps them locked into that age. And she was telling me of the, the ways that the, um, that the medical profession deal with it now. But um, Jens has allowed me to use this, um, this uh, illustration. Uh, at some stage not long after um, Elena was born, you know, that Tessa got very ill and had to be taken to hospital and she lost a lot of blood. And James was explaining that to us one day here. And as I, <clears throat> as I was listening to James, I realised that he, he really had been very shocked by that. And I came up to him afterwards and said, James, has anyone prayed for you? And he wasn't sure if they had, but he was happy for me to pray, pray for him again. Um, we just need to be very, very mindful that when people have gone through things, that there is definitely a need for prayer there. And I, I just really felt speaking about that, that I just want to stop talking for a minute and just let you all open your hearts up to just... Let the Holy Spirit show you if there is something that happened in your life. And, and some of you may know it because you may, you may be aware that sometimes something happens and it, it, just, it just something doesn't quite sit right or it disturbs you a little bit, but you've never really put too much thought into it. And so let's just see if the Holy Spirit is going to show anyone anything. Let's just, just take a minute. Mm. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would indeed reveal to anyone here if there is still any shock or any trauma in and around anyone that really should not be there. Mm, amen. Thank you. I just really felt that was something that the Lord was um, wanting me to do this morning and will make, make um, room, obviously, for that. Um, I mean, another thing that can come in there is disappointment. And Ravi Zacharias, who I also love to listen to, um, that's always a challenge. I probably get half of what he says and the other half goes over here, but he's still great. Um, he was saying that in the universities he goes to, especially in America, and even though we think that um, Christianity is, is uh, not very strong, he said every time he speaks, and he's usually going up against atheists, the places are packed. And students want to talk to him afterwards. American students, he said, the two problems that they have is pornography and suicide. They're the things they battle with the most. And we have to be aware, you know, with what's happening in our world and just continue to pray against some of those things. <clears throat> the next thing that Jesus said to the disciples that day is, raise the dead. Now, I'm going to read an excerpt out of a book and that is the book there, Talk With Me in Paradise. And the, the clip I'm going to be reading is someone who has been written on behalf of that I know. This is from the orphanage that I went to in India. It's a non-conversion area. Uh, so in the book, they're very uh, general about where they are, obviously. And the names have been changed. But I'm using this as an example of raising, raising the dead, <clears throat> because the, the main person who wrote this is just a very ordinary person like you and I. I spent two years with him um, going through college, and I've um, been over at the orphanage. So this is his story. It was a normal morning at the home. The children had left for school, and the sound of little ones singing in the nursery filled the air. 
Masons and laborers, also known as coolies, were preparing for another day of construction work. I was in the office when a flash of bright light lit up the room and a loud boom resonated from across the campus. I shot out of the office and ran in the direction of the blood-curdling screams. He's dead, the coolie woman cried, he's dead. By the time Andy, that's his wife, and I reached the crowd gathered around the man, the coolie women were tearing their sari tops and scratching their cheeks with their fingernails. Their distress was hard to watch. We pushed our way to the feet of the young coolie. His body lay lifeless. The smell of burnt flesh and electrical wires thickened the air. Beside him lay a 20-foot steel construction rod. The scene needed no further explanation, as when I looked up and saw the low-lying 11,000-volt electrical line swinging, I realised the coolie must have been carrying the construction rod across the yard and forgotten about the wires. I checked his vital signs and there was no sign of life. There was no rise and fall of his chest and no pulse. The reality of this grievous situation hit me. There would be consequences. Just married and from another community, the coolie dying on our campus was sure to spark a violent communal response. We have to pray, Andy said in a voice, in a grave voice. Three of our heaven girls, now I just have to stop there and explain that. The children in this campus have actually been going to heaven and it might, it might not quite grasp your theology, but it has happened and I've been there and I've seen it. All right? So three of the heaven girls hadn't gone to school that day and they joined in the gathering. Andy motioned for them to kneel with us beside the coolie's lifeless body. We prayed, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we cried in unison, Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. And we decreed as we lay our hands on the coolie, in the name of Jesus, you will live and not die. Flop, flop, flop. The three heaven girls lay down unharmed. In other words, they were just out in the spirit. Heaven was here. A gentle wind blew. The wailing and the turmoil continued. Then a sacred presence, almost so thick it was physical, rested upon us. There was no denying the divine presence of our God. Fifteen minutes felt more like hours, but we kept praying, pressing in, commanding in faith that he live. Suddenly the coolie gasped and coughed, opened his eyes and sat bolt upright. The other coolies screamed and bolted backwards, tripping over each other in their hurry to get away. Goosebumps covered my body. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, Andy and I proclaimed. Once everyone had taken back possession of their senses, we helped him to his feet. We kept praising God while the coolies talked among themselves, trying to come to terms with what, with what had just happened. His hands and feet were burnt. The men carried him to a vehicle and two of our staff members went with him to help at the hospital. The doctors did a thorough examination, prescribed three bot bottles of saline, painkillers, and bandaged his burnt hands and feet. That evening, when we gathered for prayer, the children were taken in the spirit to paradise. They found Jesus. What happened, they asked, was he dead? Yes, he was dead, Jesus said. But because you prayed in faith and because of the, listen to this, the resident glory on the campus, I raised him from the dead. That is their key. They have a resident glory 
on their campus. That evening, the young coolie was discharged from hospital and sent home. What a day. Our bodies were spent from the trauma. They might need some prayer. But we were exhilarated because our faith had been rewarded. We had witnessed a real-life resurrection. Sometime later, I related the testimony to a friend who's an emergency doctor. If you survive an 11,000-volt electrocution, she said, you'd most likely lose limbs and internal organs. Yet another testimony of the healing power of Jesus. He not only raised the man from the dead, he also healed his body from any major damage and ensured there was no prolonged suffering. We lost contact with this man, but recently using a photo, we managed to track him down. He was alive and well. He journeyed to our house. How are you doing since the accident, Andy asked. He said, I haven't suffered any health issues, even though I'd been dead for 15 minutes. Do you remember anything, we asked. I remember seeing a big open grey place, nothing else. Then a wind blew through me and I heard children praying. I opened my eyes and saw everyone's shocked faces. We decided it was a good time to tell him about Jesus so he knew who he had given his life back. Now that is absolutely incredible. There are some things that, um, that the, the couple who run that have done, but the, but the main thing is that when it happened, just like the disciples on graduation day, they had no idea that this was going to happen to their, their orphan children. They had never prayed for it, and in fact they were so confused that it took them a while to actually get their head around what was actually going on. They recorded everything the children told them, and at the very beginning, the children would be saying the same things that happened to all of them. And the interesting thing is, and this was quite hard and took me a while to get my head around, but I did experience it, that when the children are taken to heaven, they are up there dancing and skipping, and their bodies are doing the same thing down here, but their eyes are closed. Now, if you want to know a little bit more about that from me, I'm happy to talk. Otherwise, um, getting that book, it, it's written beautifully, and it really explains what it's like, if that's the sort of thing that you are quite interested in. So just to say on that one that supernatural, extraordinary things can happen to ordinary people. Mm. And the next thing that he said was cast out demons. And I've got a bit of time today, so I'm just going to do a little bit of a refresher on, on some steps that we can do at times when, when we are in situations where we know that some demons need to be cast out. Um, you know, we all know that at one time it was very fashionable, um, kind of, really, um, or it was the focus. I won't say fashionable. It was the focus. And I believe that um, God takes us in different seasons to different things and gives us things. So I just thought what I'd do is just um, just explain what how I usually pray if I know that someone is in need of something being cast out. So what I will do first is just say... Um, all right, I'll have to do it as if I've got a person here, so I'll just call someone. I was going to say Henry, but Henry's here. I can't use Henry's <laughs> name. Um, Bartholomew. So Bartholomew's come. Bartholomew needs some prayer, and I'm picking up that there's something there that, that, um, that needs to be delivered. So I would be praying, Lord, I come against a spirit of anger in Bartholomew. 
and I bind and break it off him now in Jesus' name. I command it to be loosed from him. Okay, that's binding and loosing. Whatever door that has come through, and often we have generational things, I will say, Lord, you have asked us to bless the ancestors, which we do, but we just cut that off him now. Anything that's ancestral, we cut off in Jesus' name. And Lord, whatever door that came through, I ask now that you would close that door and seal it by your Holy Spirit. That's actually quite important. You need to seal the door. And then whatever, whatever the spirit is, sometimes there's associated spirits. So I might say, and Lord, anything that is connected to that spirit of anger, I just also bind and break off him now in Jesus' name. Because spirits come often in groups. And then I would ask an, an, an outpouring of whatever, Lord, let your, let your Holy Spirit fill him first, fill that place with your spirit, and bless him, let joy and peace and mercy and grace be, be his, uh, and just working in whatever is the opposite often. Now, that's just a very, very short one, but I was quite interested. I got, a, I got a, um, um, an email from a very learned Christian man um, just last week, and he said to me that there's a, a young married couple that uh, he has been um, with, and they've been married 10 years. She has just had her fifth child, or they have just had their fifth baby, sorry. They both got married as Christians, but somewhere along the line, when she realized that some of her family members weren't Christian and maybe weren't making it to heaven, she decided to wipe God. So God was no longer a factor in her life which of course had devastating effects on the marriage. And the young man was just getting to the point where he was just about ready to, to walk. So this learned man had uh, emailed me and said, I think that she has some demonic spirits or she is a narcissist. Well, I think they're one and the same anyway. Um, and he said to me, uh, if I pray for her, I know that I cannot cast the demon out because, and the word says, that if we cast a demon out of someone really who is an unbeliever, there is no stopping um, the door from being shut. And the word says that that demon will go to a, a, a dry place and, and call seven more back which is quite gross, but it happens. So he was very well aware he couldn't do that. He couldn't actually deliver anything out of her. And he said, this was his question to me, if I bind a spirit, which is binding it so it's, it's being rendered useless, um, how long will it remain bound? Good question. So the answer to that is that if that spirit is bound but not cast out, Unless she opens herself up, unless she starts doing things again that will allow other spirits in, then the, the, the spirit remains bound. But I believe it can actually be activated again if, if behavior allows that to happen. So I said to him, it is better also to pray that no other demonic spirits are allowed to enter her. And he hadn't realized that. And he said, that's good, I'll start praying that. So I said, I'll start praying for them as well. And then it was encouraging that uh, 
a few days later, he emailed me back and he said, I have been praying this week. I've gone to see them and I was sharing with the husband and telling him how to pray and now he is not going to leave. He is going to stay there and fight for his wife. So that's good. So we just have to be very aware um, at times on, on, on what the procedure is when we're dealing with people who are not 100% for God. Yeah, but he had—he just had never thought that other demons might come and attack from the outside. And I mean, the, the, the reality is we have a very relentless enemy and he doesn't want us to uh, proceed in the ways of God. Um, yes, we've got spiritual warfare that way and I never like to negate either the power of praise. And I was reminded that one of the first times I was ever asked to go and pray for someone for deliverance was when I was uh, in my stage two, which was our practical, in my first year at Bible College. And I was uh, assigned to a particular church. And after the service, the pastor came to me and he said, oh, one of the ladies here wants to be delivered from um, smoking cigarettes. Would you pray for her this afternoon? And I said, aren't you going to pray? And he said, no, I don't do that. <laughs> What makes you think I do? Um, so uh, his wife came with me, though, and I had no idea what I was going to do. You know, I mean, I, prior to that, I sort of had a fair idea with most things I was doing in the Christian world, but that I was going in blind. But the most amazing thing was that when his wife started singing and praising in the background, the, the, it just brought in the anointing, and I knew exactly what to do. The Holy Spirit was just leading me, and that wonderful woman got, got completely saved from um, the addiction of smoking. And that's absolutely fabulous, isn't it? So, cast out demons. You, know, you realize I could have done a really horrible one. Do you think that's a nice sanctified one, people being free? Yeah. And the last thing in this uh, instruction from Jesus was... Freely you have received, freely give. And that was just really to remind them that what I've given you is not for you to keep, it's for you to pass on, isn't it? Now, I want to um, share with us now a word that God gave me, not last week, but the week before when I was praying about, about sharing today. And you know that I just love being here. I love this church. And when I, when I talk to other people about this church, I see people are very, very authentic here, which is what I just love. And people here really love God. And one of the things that God said to me um, a week and a half ago was that he wants to bring people to a higher level of purity. And I thought about how we, we, go, we, we are refined and how gold is refined. And I just thought that that was really apt. And when James was saying last week that he'd gone to the Arise Conference and it had really hit him, oh God, clean hands and pure heart. And I wanted to jump up and say, it's all right, James, God's got everything in control. Next week, next week. <laughs> but this is, this is what Matthew 5, 8 says, um, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And what does it mean to be pure? It means to be without blemish, undefiled. It's a physical, a ceremonial, and an ethical purity. And any time that God wants to do something new, of course, we have to give God permission to do it, don't we? Are we prepared to? 
that's the key, isn't it? Are we prepared to surrender, to let God take us into that new level of purity? The refiner's fire. Oh, that doesn't that sound um, comfortable? <laughs> Back in India, one of the nights when I was there with the children, one little girl was running. She just kept running, and I thought, how does she do this? She was just really sweating at the end of it. She would have been seven or eight. And uh, I said to her through an interpreter when they were back down on earth, what were you doing? She said, I was running through the fire. I said, what was that like? She said, it's wonderful. I feel so clean. Whenever God does anything, it's always for his glory but for our benefit, isn't it? And so I'm just asking us to really consider opening up our hearts and letting God come in and purify where we need to be purified and letting, letting um, that whole thing of surrendering to him. Because when we do, there's a lot more of God's glory. There's room for the glory, isn't there? And it just says here, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to do church in my own strength. I really want it to be easy. And easy can be when we are in the anointing and when we have the glory and it just really spoke to me um, about the way that Jesus answered that prayer to raise that young coolie from the dead because of the resident glory that was in that place. And so there is not one face you see, not one pair of eyes you look into that Jesus doesn't love our mindset, some of us, our mindset just needs to be changed a bit. And we, you know, it, it's really, are we in 100% for God or are we still doing some things our own way? Um, are we going to get over our fear and really speak to people and share and shine the light? I'm included in that. There's times I don't want to. Um, there's a woman that I come um, in contact with um, quite regularly, not a Christian, and she's very negative. Um, it's either her health that's not good or every circumstance in her life is not good. And I always make sure that I can say something positive. I, I change the atmosphere and I stop her and then, and then we carry on in talking about more positive things. It's just a very subtle way of doing it, but it's one way that we can. And so here, we have a new Jerusalem and some questions for you. Do we have the heart of Jesus when we look at the multitudes? Do we really, or are we just so busy that we, just, we don't even see the faces? Are we prepared to allow Jesus to purify our hearts to take us to the next level? Are we prepared to surrender totally as the disciples and the apostles did so that we can indeed be living something bigger than ourselves? And if you feel today that, yep, yeah, I'm ready, I really do want to live something bigger than myself, then I just ask that you would might want to come forward for prayer. 
I just want to say something really encouraging. You are a really loving church. And sometimes, especially when we're mums, we think, oh, no, you know, I'm just doing this. Look, let me tell you that about four weeks ago, I was on the door, I was at the back, and the level of affection that I was witnessing between parents and children that day, when you just are with your children, your arm goes round them, I see children snuggling up, you are doing so well. You are really doing well. And I think that's why Jesus, when he comes here, knows he can flop on the settee and just be part of this family. So I just want to say, everyone, bless you all. And I pray that the the Holy Spirit has spoken something to you today. So as always, we open this up for prayer. If you feel everything's really good in your life, that is absolutely wonderful. Spread the love. And you can also spread it with some coffee. Let me just close in prayer. Father, you know exactly where all of us are. And you know, Lord, the ones that you have been gently prodding to step up. Lord, you know the ones that need the comfort. You know the ones, Lord, that need more of you. God, thank you that we can come together and that you're our focus. Father, there is bigger, better. You have always have more for us, Lord. And I pray, God, that in unity we would be obedient to you and just say yes to everything that you have for us. And just help us in our weakness, Lord. I just pray a blessing, Lord, on each one that's here. I pray a pray a blessing on each family. And Lord, I just pray that a new anointing would be released to each one, even as they walk out here, and that that anointing, Lord, would be carried, and that they would be able to spread that anointing to each person that they meet. And Lord, that we would indeed take the kingdom into this country and take this country, Lord, back for you. Amen.